As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kadaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Well, good morning, Heritage. How are you? All right. Let's try that again. Good morning, Heritage. How are you doing? Well done. Hey, will you join me before we continue to worship by getting in the word by just saying thank you to our worship teams at both of our locations. Will you join me in doing that? I tell you what, I love that we have a team that is so faithful, not just this week, but in other weeks, to lead us before the throne of God in praise. Just like it says, and lead us into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so thank you, worship team. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you. If you're new to Heritage, my name's Justin. I'm part of the ministry team here. And a lot has changed since I have been up here and had the chance to share with you. A lot has really happened in my life. The first thing is that I'm no longer the new guy on campus. All right, that, that Gomez character you guys met last week, yeah. Yeah, he's now the new guy. He took my title, but that's all right. Uh, another thing that's changed for me is my, actually my seat on the bus. Not only did that Gomez character come take my new guy title, he now is taking over kind of in that linked lane, and I'm shifting out into a different seat on the Heritage bus uh, to kind of lead our scent investments and just asking the question and mobilizing us as a church to say, listen, we want to be a church that is getting outside these walls and making a difference in our city to see our cities transform. So I love that role. I'm excited about it. But the most significant significant change in my world is as of June 2nd, 2015, my family transitioned from a family of three with a dog to a family of four with a dog. Do you mind if I show you some pictures of Ava Lynn? Is that okay? All right, let's check her out. Here she is. She's all girl. She's all girl. And don't worry, I've already had the conversation that daddy doesn't approve of dating until she's 30. It's just not going to happen. In fact, here's another picture of her. Gives you a little glimpse into her eyes. I think that's when, she, when I said that to her, she said, yeah, okay, Dad. That's not going to happen. So my son, two-and-a-half-year-old son Maddox, loves being a big brother. Here's a picture of him. Uh, he loves to remind Ava that he is the big boy and that she is baby Ava. Okay, so he makes sure that he keeps her uh, in line and whatnot. And here's an updated picture of our family. Uh, the Barnes clan family of four. Our dog's not there. Somebody had to take the picture. So uh, he took care of that for us. Corny, I know, that was bad. That was bad. So, <laughs> so anyways, we praise God that uh, we have two healthy children. And our prayer is we beg God is that our children will run hard after Jesus all of their lives. And they will live out a lot of what we're going to talk about today uh, as we begin to engage the word. So if you have your Bible or an electronic device, please turn to Acts chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be there in a minute. We're going to cover a lot of that chapter today. Uh, but if you've been with us as a church, as a church, we've been on a journey this summer through the book of Acts, really exploring how the church rapidly grew and how it took shape from the moment Jesus ascended to heaven until, and through the early church. And so we remember going back to Matthew chapter 28 and then Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that we're called to be disciples who make disciples to make disciples. Jesus made that so clear to his disciples. And then in Acts 1, he told them, 
that you are to be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And you and I are sitting here as a representation of that. But they, he understood, Jesus did, that that wasn't possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he said, you know, what the power, when the power comes on you, you will be that witness. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive that power. And that's what we explored in Acts 2, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and it fell on the believers who were kind of in hiding in a sense. Um, their lives were radically changed. And Peter stands up, a changed man, somebody who used to be fearful and would coward, now stands up and preaches the gospel for the first time. And scripture says that thousands of people were cut at the heart and cried out to him and said, what now shall we do? And Peter said, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. And we see thousands of people who make decisions to place their faith and their hope in Christ and are baptized in Acts 2. And at the end of Acts 2, we see the church begin to take shape and that the disciples and all the believers would gather in public places and worship and hear the apostles teaching. And they would gather and live loved. And then they would go into their homes. They would break bed. They'd wrestle with what the apostles had taught. And they had everything in common, it says, as they went on to live linked and then watched as God added daily to their number. How cool is that? God added daily to their number those who were being saved as they went and preached the gospel with boldness and living scent. Then we get into Acts chapter 3 and 4, and we start to see that through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, uh, the disciples are able to do these miraculous signs. Those who are lame are now walking. Those who are sick are now healed. And it gives this platform for the gospel to be shared to even more people. And we see thousands upon thousands continue to make decisions to place their faith in Christ. But then for the first time, the disciples run into some opposition, didn't they? There's a group of people that didn't like that they weren't getting the attention. And we see that the disciples are now imprisoned. They're beaten. They're told that they can't preach this Jesus or talk about this Jesus, but a cool moment in Acts 4 is they gather and they pray and they said, Lord, even though we're facing this opposition, give us the boldness to preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's risen from the dead. And then last week we looked at Acts 6 and 7, Pastor Jeremiah walked us through the reality that for the first time in all of scripture in the New Testament, after Jesus ascends to heaven, somebody, Stephen, ends up giving his life for his faith dying because of his faith in Jesus Christ and his refusal to not preach the gospel. And the reality is, is that still is taking place today. People all around the world, in fact, during this service, as I'm sitting here having the opportunity to communicate with you, the reality is somebody will most likely be giving their life for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's where we left off last week with Stephen being stoned and crying out saying, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Kind of a picture of Jesus, what Jesus said, right? And then in Acts 8, the first few verses, we see that the persecution didn't just stop with Stephen. It broke out throughout the entire church. And it says, all the believers, all of the believers were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And it's kind of this critical moment in the church. What are they going to do? Are they going to stop preaching the gospel out of fear? Are they going to cower and maybe go, go into hiding like they did when, when Jesus had died? Or, or maybe are they going to take that posture of, well, maybe it's just my personal faith and I won't tell anybody. And we're kind of at this critical juncture of what is the church going to do? But in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we get a, just a resounding answer. Check this out. Those who had been scattered, it says, preached the word wherever they went. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wow. 
Even though they had lost their homes, they had lost their livelihoods, they had to move out of their neighborhoods, they gave everything up. Their, their loved ones perhaps were even killed and beaten and, and for their faith in Christ. And when we were scattered, they didn't cower back. They didn't act out in fear and, and kind of and hide. They actually went and preached the gospel wherever they went. Now, how many of you know this wasn't the religious leader's idea? <laughs> right? They thought, hey, if we can, we can beat them and, and kill some of them and just scatter them all over the place, then maybe it'll stop this whole Jesus talk. But it backfired. And here's why. Here's why. Because the religious leaders didn't know or failed to recognize. And what I want us to get today is this, is that the church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. Regardless of persecution, regardless of hardship, regardless of challenge, regardless of what it costs, the reality is, is that the church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Why? Because the God of the church is unstoppable. Because our God, Jesus Christ, sits on the throne, the all-powerful, almighty, sovereign God is all-powerful, and there is nothing that can stop the church. This wasn't a new idea. Jesus is actually the one that told us this in advance. In Matthew 16, there's this moment, there's this dialogue in which Jesus is interacting with the disciples and says, who do they say that I am? Talking about the other people. The disciples come back and say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and some say that you're Elijah, and even some say you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus kind of turns the lens, just like he does for you and I, and says, who do you say that I am? And the disciples sit there for a minute, and then Peter, Simon Peter, blurts out, and he, I got this one. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. And listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, you're right. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Jesus is saying very clearly here, the church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. And not only does he tell us that, when he says that the gates of hell will not overcome it, a gate is a defensive mechanism, right? We put a gate up to keep people out. It's a, a defensive mechanism. It's kind of like basketball. Any basketball players in the room? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you are at Bettendorf. That's good. All right. <laughs> but here's the deal. I'm a terrible basketball player absolutely horrible. I can dribble with my left hand, but if we get to, the, uh, to my right and I get to the left, I got problems, okay? I love to play defense, though, as long as there's no fouls, all right? If there's fouls, that's trouble. But the whole idea of putting this rubber ball in that little iron hoop, that's where it all falls apart for me, all right? I am a horrible, horrible, horrible basketball player. But here's what I know, that even I, the most inept of players, can beat the best player in the world, the LeBron Jameses of the world. Some of you know who that guy is. He's apparently the best in the world. Even I can beat him. Here's why. If he never gets the ball, it doesn't matter how good of a shooter he is or how, how crazy dunks you know, he can pull off. It doesn't matter any of that. If he doesn't get the ball and never has the chance to go on offense, he will always have a goose egg on the scoreboard when the game is over. And I, even the most inept of players, even if I shoot one for 256, right? Horrible shooting percentage. I'm about 50% on layups if I'm uncontested, all right? And if I even make one basket at the end of the game, I'm going to have points on the scoreboard. And that person's going to have zero. Same with teams. The most inept of teams, if they always have the ball and they never give the ball to the other team and they're the only one that gets to play offense and the only one that gets to shoot, it doesn't matter how good this other team is, they will never score. They will always lose. What does this have to do with the church? Here's the deal. The church was never created to play defense. 
The church was never designed to play defense. The church was designed to be a movement, an offensive movement that the gospel is spreading. It was never designed to be a monument of just a building and a place that we come and we gather, this defensive kind of posture. The church was created to conquer and to take land and to to share the gospel, just like we saw in verse 4, that they share the gospel wherever they went. It wasn't created to be a space of comfort and where it's about what we like and what we want, right? The church was created to advance, to move forward, Forward, to take ground. And, and what we're seeing and talking about here and what we see in this Church on Fire and this Acts series is that the gospel is just moving. It wasn't created as a place to retreat. You see, the people of God, the church, don't, don't get confused. The church is the people of God. We were created to be compelled because of what Christ had done for us. The church was never designed to play defense. And when we play offense, the church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable, and we're compelled to move forward because our God, the God of the church, is unstoppable. But Paul says it this way. This is what compels the believers. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Christ's love, what he's done in our life, this is what compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Everyone say all. All, and therefore all died. And he died for all. Everyone say all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised for them. The reality is, is that our God is for all people. And the fact that the love of Christ and what he has done and the fact that he has died not just for us, but for all should compel us to be a movement that is moving forward. You see, a church on fire reaches all people. And we're going to see that today in the story in uh, Acts chapter 8 as we look at Philip. I want to tell you, even before we jump in, today is a really simple message, but it's incredibly challenging for us if we begin to grasp that what we see today is God's desire for the church. This is what he's calling us to be. And if we're followers of Christ and you've given your life to Christ today, what we're going to talk about today is what he expects of us. So it's simple, but it's challenging. So let's jump in. Verse 5, Acts chapter 8, it says this, Philip Philip was one of the, the, the deacons that we talked about last week, right? In Acts chapter 6, there's a number of uh, seven men who are kind of out of the bunch or picked. They're full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Stephen was one of them. We saw that he died, was martyred last, last week. But then now Philip is another one of those who is first started ministry is serving tables, right? He's serving tables, kind of a, what some would say is a lesser than task, but it's not true because watch how God uses that as a start to lead Philip to have significant impact. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Everyone circle that in your outline for me. Circle that in your worship folder. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Now, the reason I had you circle the word Samaria or this land Samaria is the reality that the Jews absolutely hated the Samaritans, the people who lived there. Now, it's for a number of reasons. They absolutely hated them. They despised them. Back in history, when the Jews were exiled, a number of foreigners moved into that land, into Samaria. And so when the Jews came back, a number of Jews intermarried with those foreigners, and they began to have children. And so those who were the pure Jews or the real Jews looked at those Samaritans as like a half-breed. All right? They hated them. They were like the scum of the earth. They were lower than dogs on the totem pole. They wanted nothing to do with them. But it's significant here that God, as he orchestrates the writing of Scripture and how the church expands and grows and the places that he goes to, that the first place that we have record of the gospel being presented outside of Jerusalem and outside of Judea is to the people in Samaria. 
The very people that the Jews hated, that were considered the, the least of the least, that the, they're no good. And here's why I think that is. I think God wants us to know that he's a God for all people. That the gospel is for all people. It doesn't matter where you came from, what culture, what race, what economic status, what side of the river you grew up on, what side of the tracks you grew up on. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how far you've run from him or any of that. The reality is that the gospel is for all people. And God displays that right here as he says, the first place I'm going to preach the gospel outside of Jerusalem and outside of Judea is going to be to a people that you wanted nothing to do with. And so Philip goes and he preaches. Check out what happens. It says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So Philip goes to Samaria right? And he begins to preach, and there just the miraculous begins to happen. Those who are demonized are set free. Those who are sick are healed, and those who are lame are now walking. And God is doing the absolute miraculous thing. And this is coming to your, your first uh, fill-in in your outline here. The reality that a church on fire is willing to reach all people by going anywhere, by going anywhere, right here. And so what happens, Philip goes there, he begins to preach. God begins to do the miraculous. Listen to this. There's even a guy named Simon. This guy's a sorcerer. He's a kind of a magician of sorts. And what he would do is using the power of Satan, he would manipulate things and do these miraculous works that would, would deceive people into believing that he was the power of God, like this Messiah of sorts. But watch what happens as Philip is preaching there. God just does the miraculous. Check this out. Verse 12, it says, They believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized. Keep in mind, they, were, they placed their faith in Christ. That next step of obedience is baptism. Both men and women. Simon himself, Simon the devil worshiper, Simon that was being used by the enemy to mislead the people, thinking that he was God. Listen to what happens to him. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. How many of you want to be a part of a church like that, right? Where God is just doing the miraculous. Even those people, not only are men and women from all over the place being saved and following, following the, the, the church, right? Following Jesus. But even those who are like worshiping Satan, even those who are like the unreachables are coming to faith in Jesus and having their lives transformed and being baptized into the faith. Wow, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. But listen, something really unique happens. God is using Philip in ways that are disproportionate to who he is. That's how the terminology that I use. In other words, saying it's clear that it's not about Philip. It's about the reality that God is at work through Philip. We don't know how many people were following Philip in the church and what the church looked like there, but it's not out of reach to say it was thousands of people. God had given Philip a platform. He had grown to love the people there. But listen, God does something really unique. And it's the second piece of your outline in which God, a church on fire, is compelled to reach all people by not only going anywhere, but paying any price. Paying any price. Check out what happens in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, keep in mind, just crazy cool God things are happening, right? People's lives are being transformed. They're being set free. The lame are now walking. The sick are now healed. You know, the demon-possessed are being set free. And then in the middle of all this, an angel comes to Philip and says, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. So he started out. He let it all go. 
the ministry that he had grown to love, the, the incredible things that God was doing, the, the thousands of people who had made decisions that certainly Philip grown, had grown to love them and he had put down roots. I'm sure he had favorite restaurants and he had a home that he loved and an angel of God comes to him and says, listen, I want you to go. The only thing he tells him is, hey, go down that road that connects Gaza to Jerusalem. And Philip listens because he says, listen, God, I just want to hear from you and I'll do whatever you ask, no matter the price. I'll pay the price. It kind of reminds me of a family in our church where he in another state owned a business and was building homes and was one of the well, most well-known builders in all of that region well-respected. I mean, he was the go-to guy, had a business that was booming and growing. And one day God spoke to him and said, I'm asking you and to move you and your family to the Quad Cities. And you know what he did? He closed the business, packed up shop and moved to the Quad Cities. And God is using them in amazing ways here. But it came at a significant price, didn't it? A number of months ago, we had our Just One celebration where we gathered, and there were a number of people that got an envelope with $50 in it. You guys remember this? And I got up there, and I said, hey, the desire behind this is that you would go and use this $50 to bless somebody. And, you know, I got one story back a couple of weeks ago that this person had taken that $50 and went through the drive-thru on a number of occasions, and they paid for the meal for the person behind them and said, hey, we did, and asked the person at the desk to tell them that somebody from Heritage want, loves you and just wants to bless you today. Kind of a cool moment, right? But somebody else at that just one service that I hadn't given an envelope to, that I hadn't given money to, saw that and said, you know what? I can do that. So they slipped some money in their wallet and they went and they just prayed, God opened doors for me to bless people. And so as they went about their day, they did the exact same thing, but it came at a cost. It came at a cost for their financial realities for them. But man, how cool is it then somebody... Get, got meal bought or a coffee bought and said, hey, somebody from Heritage Church, it's not about heritage, it's about Jesus. But our hope is that people come here that they hear about Jesus, right? You know, we had a girl in our Discover Faith class just a couple months ago. Discover Faith is an environment, if you're asking questions about faith or you're new to the faith, it's a great four-week time to come in and, you know, wrestle with some questions and just learn about the foundations of this faith. But one person in this particular class had come in who had newly made a decision to follow Christ and her family did not like it at all. In fact, her dad wanted nothing to do with her. But she followed Jesus anyway and continued to love him. But the, the price of following Jesus cost her, in some ways, the relationship with dad. That's incredibly challenging. But a church on fire is willing to reach all people by going anywhere and doing and, and paying any price. In this last piece, they're willing to do anything. They're willing to do anything. Check out what happens to Philip here says, so he started out, and on his way, he met the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. So Philip comes across this very important official, all right, from Ethiopia. It goes on to say, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. At some point, this Ethiopian man must have um, converted to Judaism, and he was making that trip to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. It continues, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Kind of an awkward request, right? Kind of an odd request. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, he asked? How can I, the eunuch said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
Go stand by that chariot, right? Philip's used to preaching to hundreds of people, thousands of people. And God says, hey, go down this road. It's kind of an awkward request already. And then he gets there. Philip is probably waiting for this grand announcement of his new assignment. And God says, hey, go stand by that chariot. Go stand by that Chrysler Sebring, and I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> right? Kind of awkward. But what I love about Philip is that he hears the Spirit of God, and he does what he says regardless of what it is, no matter how odd it is. It's kind of like what Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember Paul, we're going to talk about him next week. This is a guy whose life is radically transformed. He goes, he's persecuting Christians, killing Christians, and God transforms his life. And Paul goes on to be a guy who will go anywhere, will pay any price, and he'll do anything. And this is how he says it. He says, I have become all things to all men so that I, might be, I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I'll do whatever you ask, God. I'll do whatever you ask. I'll do anything, no matter how random, no matter how just bizarre it is that you're asking me, no matter how small or how grand, I'll do whatever it takes to win people to Jesus, to share the good news that Jesus Christ has died and paid the price for your sins. I'll, I'll do whatever. Now, there's a few things that I don't particularly like to do or don't do. One of them is that I don't like to talk politics with people. <laughs> I just have found it's not really a bridge-building conversation. You guys understand what I'm saying? It's just really not. It's kind of like in the Quad Cities. I also don't talk about the Bears or the Packers. It just doesn't build bridges, and I don't talk about the Cubs or the Cardinals. All right? It just doesn't build bridges for me. But there was one moment about eight years ago when I was sitting with my, uh, my stepdad. It is about midnight, one in the morning, and we were in the middle of presidential election time, and you guys know what's on TV, right? It's all over the place. And so we're interacting, and I'm, I'm watching this, and I don't like to talk about politics, but something in me in that moment, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, talk, talk to him about this. And about five minutes later, he opened up and said, you know what? I just don't know if there's hope in the world anymore just don't know if there's hope. And for the next two hours, we began with a conversation about politics on this one particular station, talking about this one candidate, to about two and a half, three hours later, at four in the morning, my stepfather was praying to receive Jesus Christ for the first time. That's amazing. Praise God for that. Listen, but it gets, it gets even better. It gets even better. The next morning I wake up and I'm going to have lunch with my mom and we're sitting at Chin Chin's, Exit 56, 94, Matawan, Michigan, best Chinese food in the world, okay? Um, and we're sitting there and across the table from me, she goes, Justin, I woke up this morning and Lee told me that something interesting happened last night. I said, really? What's that, mom? You know, and she said, he told me he gave his life to Christ for the first time. And I said, yeah, mom, he did, but check this out. Within 30 minutes, my mom at that table in that Chinese restaurant recommitted her life to Jesus Christ and said, I want to follow him. Pretty profound, right? <laughs> yeah. Five days later, my mom died. But check this out. Just like Philip, when he was asked to do something just unique and just bizarre, in that moment, I was asked to talk about something I really didn't want to talk about. But God did the miraculous, and as a result, praise God, I know that I'll see my mom again. I have that hope, and my stepdad's life has been transformed. 
The church on fire will do anything to reach all people. I was just interacting with somebody in the lobby that was telling me that his dad had called us to absolute chaos and, and broken up his family. His dad is now old and is at a place where he can't take care of himself. And, and so this, this man, this young man, gets the call to come clean his dad up when his dad has an accident or messes himself up and his dad ridicules him the entire time that he's taking care of him. His dad doesn't know Jesus, but you know what? He continues to show up each and every day because he's committed to doing anything with the hope that he can be Jesus to his dad. And he told me just recently that his dad has begun to soften and actually treat him well. And I believe that God is going to do something and open the door for him to share the gospel. You see, the church on fire is willing to reach all people by going anywhere, paying any price, and doing anything. So when we left the story, Philip is back. He pops up into the chariot. This guy is reading, and this is what happens. Check this out, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So as Philip pops up into that, that carriage, the guy's reading from a passage in Isaiah 53. And let me read to you what this guy would have been reading. Starting Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. And so, Isaiah, so Philip, hearing this, I'm sure as he's interacting in that chariot, had some kind of piece of paper, right? He has a piece of paper, and he says, listen, what you're reading, the, the Ethiopian eunuch looks at him and says, what is going on? What are you talking about? And Philip had the opportunity to start right where that guy was. Why? Because he went anywhere, he did, paid any price, and he was willing to do anything. And in that chariot on that day, on the piece of paper, I'm sure, Philip began to, un to unpack to him the good news about Jesus Christ. The reality that, that the, Philly, the Ethiopian eunuch had been created for relationship with God, right? He had been created for relationship with God. But just like it said in Isaiah 53, that we all have gone, uh, uh, fallen astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And we have fallen into sin. And because of that, there is this chasm, there is this divide that it doesn't matter how many trips to Jerusalem you make. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many sacrifices you make or how many good deeds you do. That you and I cannot jump this, this divide and have relationship with God. But what it's talking about in Isaiah 53, I can just see Philip saying, is the reality that the very Son of God the very Son of God came to earth, fully God, fully man, and paid the price that you and I should have paid, right? It said he was pierced for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. And because of that, because of Jesus, you can have relationship with God. And as it says in Romans 10, Philip didn't have Romans 10, but it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. And right there in that chariot, Philip goes on to unpack the gospel. 
starting right where that guy was, reading the very words that he was reading, and unpacks the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. And check out what happens here. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Check out the eunuch's response. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He places his faith in Christ and as a result gives orders to stop the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Because the church on fire, because Philip, part of the church, was willing to go anywhere and pay any price and do anything, we see that he has the opportunity to share the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch and this guy makes a decision to place his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ and says, listen, I want to be baptized. Now as a church, we celebrate baptism as well. Right? We believe that baptism comes after faith. You're not saved by being baptized. Faith or salvation comes through a relationship and placing your faith and trust with Jesus Christ. But just like we see in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and in Acts, you know, like we talked about at the beginning here of Acts 8, after we place our faith in Christ, the next step of obedience is to be baptized. Now, August 9th, as a church, we're going to gather in one church, one location at one time to celebrate along those, alongside those who are going to be baptized as a church. All right, those who have been come alongside and at some point encountered Jesus. It could have been today. It could have been 20 years from now. But those of us in the room, if we made a decision to follow Christ, our next step is to be baptized. And so if you're interested in that, on your communication card, there's a box there. Please check baptism. We will follow up with you this week. And we will answer questions that you may have and, and just get you signed up, ready to go. But listen, if you're a part of Heritage, please save the date. August 9th, we're going to meet right back there on the Backwater Gambler site in the Rock River. Right after Sunday services, we're going to have lunch. Did you guys hear that? All right. We're going to have lunch. We're going to feed you. But listen, the party really begins when people's feet hit the water. And we celebrate what our God has done and is doing through Heritage Church and in your lives if you make that decision to be baptized. So mark your calendar. If you're interested in that, please check the box. But listen, baptism is a huge deal. And we want you to be there and be a part of that. You won't regret it. We're going to gather as one church, Bettendorf Campus, Rock Island Campus, Vida Nueva, all of us together in one spot to celebrate. Sounds like a good time, doesn't it? All right, so let's jump back into the story and finish this up today. Verse 39, it says, When the, they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Because the church on fire was willing to go anywhere, pay any price, and do anything, this Ethiopian eunuch went away rejoicing. But here's the crazy cool part of this. Historians tell us that it was this Ethiopian eunuch that took the gospel into Ethiopia. The church on fire now had jumped and was beginning to rapidly expand in a whole new region because Philip was willing to, to do something bizarre and share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. You see, a church on fire and heritage, we want to be a church on fire. A church on fire is willing to reach all people by going anywhere, paying any price, and doing anything. So what? What does this mean, right? What does this mean for us? As a church, as Heritage Church, for us, you know, individuals who make up Heritage Church, what does this mean for us? 
You see, I love when I, when I hear something in the news uh, in the last you know, few months when they came out and said 8% of people, there's been an 8% decline in people who claim to follow Jesus in our country. And it breaks my heart. And I look and I go, Lord, what does it look like in the season ahead? And I open the book of Acts. I mean, part of me gets really excited, right? This church is rapidly growing and expanding. Lives are being transformed. Even people that are unreachable's lives are being transformed and they're being baptized, right? It's exciting, but at the same hand, it's challenging, because when I look at it and I go, God, that's what you desire for the church. That's what you desire for the church. And because of that, the church being the people of God, it has implications on how I live my life, right? We talk about that it's not enough that our hearts are different than when we're following Jesus, that our city should look different too. So this love of Christ, what Christ has done in me and what Christ has done in us compels us. And the reality that our God is the God of the church and the church is unstoppable, Right? This compels me. But I ran across something else this two weeks ago that really compels me. It just absolutely stopped me in my tracks right at my desk. It was a start, study by George Barna. And he was beginning to ask the question of what are the least church cities in the United States? All right. I read the article, great article. He had done survey nationwide. All right. All, you know, different cities all over the country. And I began to look down, great article, and I looked down the list. They had the top 100 listed there. I see the Seattles, and I nod my head. I've heard that. I, I see the Los Angeleses and the San Franciscos and the New York Cities and the, the Las Vegas, Nevadas. And, and I'm working my way down the list, and all of a sudden, I hit number 27, and my heart stopped. Do you want to see what it is? Davenport, Iowa. Rock Island, Illinois, Moline, Illinois. And I bet Bettendorf, Iowa would be on there if they didn't run out of room in the column. Translation of all the cities and all the regions in the United States, when they're polled, the 27th most unreached city or cities is the Quad Cities. For the love of Christ compels us. Heritage, the love of Christ is compelling us to say we've got to go outside these walls. This can't be. These are our cities. And this can't be. And so what I love and I think is so cool is that our God is positioning us and our Vita Nueva family to relocate out of our Rock Island campus and down to the Florissante neighborhood to interact and develop relationships with the people of the Florissante neighborhood in the Esperanza Center. And not only is he calling them and calling us and part of our body to relocate outside of these walls and move down there, he's also asking us to identify what are the needs in the community? What are the ways that we can come alongside and love and serve so that we might begin to develop bridges and develop relationship so that we can love them and serve them and ultimately point them to the gospel that we find in Jesus Christ, the good news. So it's no longer us and them, that it's us, right? What I love and I think is so cool about what God is doing right now in Heritage Church is he is compelling us to walk outside the walls and to go and with a partnership with 180 Zone and with Davenport Schools to move into our body to adopt a school there to love and serve the students, to love and serve the teachers, to love and serve the families, to love and serve the community in one of the most impoverished areas of West Davenport so that we might develop relationships, help kids learn to read, help provide food and things that are needed and services that are needed so that we might build a bridge and have a chance to point them to a relationship with Jesus Christ so it's no longer about us and them or it's about us collectively. 
What I love is that our God is right now compelling Heritage Church to walk outside of these walls as a, regard, or as a re, result of what Christ has done in us and asking us right now to go into the jails in this county and in this region. He is asking Heritage Church, you and I, to go into Rock Island County Jail, to Scott County Jail, to go and engage at the East Moline Prison so that we might interact with men and women who on many occasions people have given up with and feel like they have no hope, that they did no good, they don't have any value, to give them the skills necessary so that they can be free. But we know the reality is freedom comes through a relationship with Christ and God loves them and cares about them. Jesus died for all of them and our God, because of Christ's love, is compelling us here at its church to walk outside of these walls that we might build bridges and have the opportunity to point people to relationship with Jesus Christ. It's amazing, but listen. You are Heritage Church. And so I want to close with one question. This is what God is asking of us as a church. Let me ask you a question to close today. It's this. What is Christ's love compelling you to do to reach someone? What is Christ's love compelling you to do to reach someone? So as we close today, will you stand with me right where you're at at both of our locations? Just right where you're at. Listen, today some of us are in the room and, and you heard me unpack the reality of the gospel that maybe Philip described to the Ethiopian. Right? The reality that you and I have, we all like sheep have gone astray and have, have walked away and wandered away from God, that there is sin in our life, right? And, but, and there's a price to be paid. But the good news that Jesus Christ came, the very Son of God, and lived a life we couldn't live, paid the penalty that we should have paid to give us a relationship with God that none of us deserve. And what I want you to know today is, listen, that wasn't just the gospel for the, the Ethiopian eunuch that day in the chariot. That's the good news for you and for me. That if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we turn away from our sin, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose again from the dead, we can be saved. We can have relationship with God. But for those of us today who have made decisions to place our faith in Christ, our God is compelling us through the love of Christ to step outside the walls and to live sins. And how I'd like to close today is I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me today. I'm going to put it up here on the board. And give you a second just to look at it, right? Because some of us today, as we're interacting with this idea, and, and we're going, okay, uh, well, I know, God, this is your desire for the church. You want me to reach out, but I'm in a place where I'm broken, and my marriage is, I'm struggling, or, you know, I'm really struggling with some things, and I don't have the knowledge of God's word. Can I, can I share something with you? This is why Acts 8 challenges me so much. You remember that the believers... They preached the word boldly wherever they went, were scattered. They had lost their loved ones. They had lost their homes. They lost everything they knew. And by the way, they were new believers. They didn't have this thorough knowledge of God's word. All they knew that was Jesus was Lord and that he rose again from the dead. And they went out and they preached boldly, not because they had it together, but because they believed in a God who did. And so today as we close, I'm going to ask you, all of us together, out loud, I'm just going to ask us to pray this together today. And if you're somebody that is, today's the day you want to make that decision for Christ, the back of your worship folder, there's a prayer that can get you started. Please let us know on your communication card because we want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate with you that our God is at work and he is transforming life. So let's pray this together, church. Lord, may Christ's love compel me to be used in ways that are disproportionate to who I am so that you receive the glory. Let's pray together today. Heavenly Father.
God, we celebrate you today. Thank you for what you have done in our lives. And may the love of Christ compel us. May the reality that, God, you demonstrated your love by sending your son, even when we were sinners, even when we were walking away from you, may that compel us to go and to reach all people, knowing that you desire that all have relationship with you. God, use us in ways that are disproportionate to who we are. In other words, God, use us in ways so it's clear it's not us at work, that it's you at work. Because, God, we don't want the credit. We don't want the glory. We want Jesus for you to be lifted up. For God, for you to be glorified. God, we pray over our cities right now as we commit to saying, God, we want you to use us in ways that are disproportionate to who we are. God, we ask that you would do a new work in these cities. God, we ask that you would mobilize and move each of one of us here at Heritage Church and all the churches in this region. God, to reach outside our walls, to be compelled by the love of Christ, to go and to proclaim the gospel with boldness. Jesus, we love you. We want to see you lifted up, and we celebrate today what you are doing. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's worship together.